Time for our Local Hero Spotlight with Jacob Nelson from CISA, the local hero folks, and Jake Mazar from Artifact Cider, which is one of my favorite ciders in the air. I hate to play favorites, but I do. And uh, they are one of them. Jake's also involved in the Wheelhouse Catering, which does some amazing stuff and also does a little catering on site there at Artifact. It's apple season right now. And it's been a weird growing season where uh, we've had a drought. Does that affect Artifact Cider, Jake? Yeah, I mean, cider is an agricultural product. You know, we get apples locally. And so, you know, one of the great things about cider and one of the challenging things about cider is that it is a product of the environment, which is, you know, affected by weather. Um, And that terroir is something that changes the cider from year to year. So in this case, uh, which is completely the opposite of last year, you know, we had a pretty extreme drought in Western Mass. Pine Hill Orchard, which is sort of our home orchard where we get the majority of our apples from, they have this pond right in front when you go there for UPEC. And um, David Shear, who's the the owner of Pine Hill Orchards, he told me that in the 70 years he's been on that land, he's never seen that pond run dry. And I was up there a couple of weeks ago and it's totally dry. Yikes. Um, So yeah, it's a pretty extreme year. Um, You know, as far as apples, it's, it's interesting. So the for cider making, you actually often have more flavorful apples in a dry year because there's less water content. So there's higher sugar and acidity and tannins in apples. And so, you know, that's a nice thing for us. It's tough for the orchards because yields are generally lower um, mm-hmm. because the apples are smaller. So, you know, it'll be a different year for sure than last year. Um, but, you know, it's not, we should have a good a good apple harvest overall. So Pine Hill Orchard, you, you named them as sort of your your home orchard, Jake. And I'm curious if you could take us through what happens to an apple from when it leaves the tree there to when someone's drinking it out of one of your cans or at one of your tap rooms in Florence or Cambridge. Absolutely. So Pine Hill, they grow a lot of different varieties of apples, Um, some varieties that we've actually purchased ourselves and grafted onto their trees, which is really exciting. And Mm. they, they do custom blends for us. So we'll tell them, you know, we're looking for this percent Macintosh, this percent Redfield, whatever it is. Um, So they harvest the apples. Um, A lot of the apples get pressed fresh in the fall. Some of the apples go into storage so that they can store them throughout the winter and even into the spring so that they can get pressed later into the season. They have a, it's called a rack and cloth press there. Um, So they grind up the apples, press them, and then ship them down uh, a tanker truck to our facility in Florence. We pump them, you know, batch by batch out of of the truck into our tanks. And that's where the fermentation starts. Um, So we ferment the ciders and our space in Florence. Depending on the cider, the fermentation time will vary. The type of yeast we use will vary if we're even adding a yeast at all or if we're just doing a wild fermentation. And then ciders are aged. Sometimes they're aged in steel. Sometimes they're aged in poly. Sometimes they're aged in wood. And then we'll either can them or keg them or occasionally for small batches, we'll do bottles. Um, and so the life cycle of that apple you know, really depends. It could be harvested from the tree and then into your glass within four to six weeks, or it could be well over a year, depending on you know what cider we're making and what variety it is and what we're trying to do with it. Speaking with Jacob Nelson from CISA and Jake Mazar from Artifact Cider Project, which for us here locally exists in Florence, although they have a East Coast of the East Coast tasting room too. They've got a couple ciders that are 100% Macintosh, which is kind of a, a new thing in the world of craft cider, right, Jake? Where that was, you know, the Macintosh, as good as an eating apple as it has been, wasn't really favored when it came to making ciders. Am I right about that? You are right about that. Yeah, you know, the Macintosh apple is a nostalgic, classic, Northeast eating apple, but has traditionally not been an apple that that you um, would use to make cider. Um, one thing that Artifact takes a lot of pride in is finding the right 
ciders to match the right apple. Um, and so we have two single varietal Macintosh ciders. And so single varietal, when I say that, I mean similar to a grape where you, know, you have a lot of different varieties. And for cider, you're more commonly doing blends, um, but occasionally you'll do a single variety. And so we have Long Way Back, which was used to be called Wild Thing, but it's now called Long Way Back, as well as Slow Down. And they're both single varietal Macintosh apples. And we found using those apples early in the season and fermenting them under the right conditions, we can make a really wonderful aromatic cider with Macintosh apples. That's really reminiscent of the fruit itself. So for a lot of people, when they try Long Way Back or Wild Thing, it's like biting into a fresh, juicy apple that kind of reminds you of when you were a kid going to the orchard, you know? pick your own, that kind of thing. Except it's got booze in it, which is amazing. You've got a couple of other ciders that have other fruits in there, like blueberries and cranberries. My favorite is Wolf at the Door. Tell me what's the uh, the varietal breakdown of apples of Wolf at the Door. Wolf at the Door is a really interesting one because it's made with a, a category of apples that you don't see in the grocery stores. Um, we call them bittersweet apples or tannic apples. They're very high in tannins. Um, and, and Wolf at the Door specifically, we use two European varieties, uh, Yarlington Mill and Dabinette. And so those probably aren't apple varieties that most people are familiar with, but they do lend a totally different characteristic to the cider um, than you would get in something from like a Macintosh or a Gala or a Cortland or anything like that. Well, it's interesting to hear you talk, Jake, just about how how much the different varieties that you're making, they really do capture the seasons and the tastes um, that that we're experiencing sort of in, in fast forward right now as fall comes and, and progresses really quickly. Um, and then you're capturing them there kind of in stasis for us to enjoy. And Jake, you mentioned that um, you're actually launching a new series of ciders in connection with Kestrel Land Trust, which is an organization uh, near and dear to your heart. I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about what that's gonna look like and what are some of the new ciders we may be able to enjoy? One of our all-time most popular ciders is a cider called Feels Like Home. People often recognize it from the Buffalo plaid cans and labels, which is seems to, to resonate with people and, and stick out. Um, so that's always been one of our more popular ciders. It is one of our juicier and fruitier ciders. And what we want to do is take what made that cider so popular and so great and expand upon it. So we're launching a, a new series of four different types of feels like home flavors. And as part of that, we've been doing a variety pack. And as part of the Feels Like Home series, we're donating a portion of the proceeds to support the Kestrel Land Trust. Um, and if people aren't familiar with the Kestrel Land Trust, uh, they do amazing work conserving everything from farms to forests to trails to waterways. The things that I love about Western Mass, they help preserve. Um, and we've worked with them for a long time, but this is a more of a formal partnership, um, you know, donating money to support the great things they do. And one thing one thing you were telling me, Jake, is that there's a long history of cider in, in New England, right? But in addition to looking back and sort of the legacy, it's also part of the modern cultural fabric of the Northeast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, cider has a fascinating history in America, um, dating back to pre-colonial times. And you know, Johnny Appleseed's based on this real guy, John Chapman, who started apple orchards all over the frontier. Uh, people were drinking hard cider. But, you know, cider is not just a drink of the past. And I think what, what we're really focused on is how do we use the apples that are grown here today using modern techniques and all the technology and what we have available to us to honor the traditional aspects of making cider, but make, make something that is representative of today's culture. And that is, you know, we're trying to contribute to when people come to the Northeast, when they come to Massachusetts and they think about oysters and they think about lobster and they think about apples, we want them to think about cider as something that is, you know, uniquely special here and the ciders that we make 
we're really trying to have those be an expression of of the Northeast and of specifically the Connecticut River Valley. Jake Mazar from Artifact Cider Project, which for our purposes is based in Florence with their cellar tasting room. They've also, if you're going to be in the Boston area, they have tasting room in Central Square in Cambridge. They've got delicious food there and taste all of their wonderful ciders on tap. And we, as Jake was saying, should really be known for this type of product here in Massachusetts and New England writ large and Artifact making excellent ciders here in the Valley. And Jacob Nelson from CESA, the local hero folks. You can find out about all our orchardists and other farm-related products, etc. at buylocalfood.org. 